Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. For us, we spend the last couple of weeks of the year really in a time of just reflection on what are we, what are we supposed to be doing in this next year? What are our lives supposed to look like in this next year? And then what is, what is the church supposed to be doing and thinking about in this next year? And every year, it's really interesting, every year the Lord has been faithful and he's given us words and phrases that have carried us and propelled us into the next year and sometimes it's through difficulties, and sometimes it's through stretches, and some, it, all the time. It's all the time through difficulties and stretches, it's not sometimes. And when things get difficult in February and in April, we can go back and remember what is it that the Lord said? What was his words for us? And what I found is that looking back, it's incredibly accurate, and, and it's even more so than anything that I could even ask or think. The way that he puts everything together and that word becomes the theme for the year. And so it's just, it's, a, it's an exciting time for me, actually, because I, I get excited. What are you going to do with us next year? And so we, we had a, a word right at the very beginning for us, and, and it was start, and that made sense because we were starting the church. And so... Uh, February 14th, 2016, we started the church. And we, we began the journey that he told us. We moved to Nashville uh, several years before with the dream of planting and, and all of that. But, but it wasn't until then that he said, it's time to start it. And so we began to start worship services. We started meeting uh, in a basement across town on Sunday evenings. We started small groups. We started... Uh, volunteer teams, we just started all kinds of things. And one of the things we started was just an unbelievable amount of new relationships. And we just continued to meet people and, and to, to meet with people who were starting as well. And the Lord was bringing us a group of people that were starting together of new things, of moving into new seasons, of moving into new callings. It was an incredible year. And so as we sat and we reflected, uh, the word that he gave us as a church was to sustain moving into the next year, to find something that was more sustainable, to cre- create a system that is more sustainable. And what happened is that he not only gave us provision and sustained our church and, and carried us through, and, and we were able to move from a basement to this cathedral and, and to really begin to, to actually take root and to grow as a community, as a church. But he began to sustain and deepen relationships that only, you know, six or 12 months before were non-existent. And as a, as a family, we all continued to be knitted together. And one of the things that the Lord showed me was that these words aren't just for the church as an organization. They're for us as people who are the church. And if you're here today, then these words are for you. They're for me. And, and so the challenge is just can we take these home with us and, and maybe write them and put them on the refrigerator, put them in our Bible, and just begin to think about, Lord, what are you saying over us? Because what he's saying to, to me about the church, 
I'm betting he's going to begin to say to each of us. And what I've been able to see as we moved into the next year, he gave us a word that was to think big, to, to have a mind of Christ to begin to think on things above, to expand our vision and our horizons, to begin to move into greater things. And I didn't know what that meant. I mean, it, I, yeah, I can remember actually listening to that message recently, and I, I had no clue what he was really meaning by this idea of think big. Because even in me trying to think as big as he can, I can't even come close. And it was a year of incredible things. I mean, just as a church, we almost tripled in size, in, in activities. We began to reach out into our, our community. We began to make a difference. We, we actually had people leave us and go on mission trips. We, we adopted uh, a family, a mission partner in Laos that we're, we're now taking care of. And we, we had conferences. We've had new relationships. Uh, he's formed us with other churches in the community. It's been incredible. We got uh, a kitchen donated to us and, and friends and partners moving in. It's been an incredible year, none of which was on the horizon this time last year. And that's neat, but then I began to see other people in our family, in our community, and the things that the Lord is doing with us as people. And it is continually greater and bigger and more than we can even ask or think. It's unreal. And so reflecting on that, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for what the Lord is doing in my life personally. I'm excited for what he's doing corporately in all of our lives. I'm excited for what he's doing in the church in Nashville and where he's moving us. I'm just excited. And so as we began to, to seek the Lord for what is the word for us for 2019, you know, there's an excitement and then there's kind of a terror. You know, sometimes you're not sure what is what. That's why people go bungee jumping. They want to feel that adrenaline and that terror. And so as we pressed in and, and begin to ask the Lord, what are you saying for us this year? We got a word. And, and it is very exciting, but it's also scary. I mean, I actually was, was praying and I was like, okay, that sounds okay. So what does that mean? Because our word is that we're to risk everything. This year is a year that we risk it all. We, we put it all on the line for Jesus, for the gospel, for our king. It's a year that we, we take our lives and we, we take our, our checkbook of our lives and we hand him a blank check. And we tell him that you can spend us however you want. Whatever you want, whatever you have, we're going to go ahead and preemptively give our yes and as I was praying about that, here's some things that I said. Does that mean I'm going to die? <laughs> I literally prayed that. Because I don't want to die right now. Thankfully, I feel like he said no. We'll see. But you, you hear these things about risking everything. And, and if, you, if you really think into that, I mean, we have a lot to lose. And so it, it can be scary to think about risking it all, putting everything that we have on the line for Jesus, it seems 
crazy. It seems different. It seems counter to the American dream that we're being sold right now. That we can get into a brand new car right now for no money down and begin to drive away in our new, better selves. We can, we can begin to take part of special end-of-the-year sales that will help us be better versions of ourselves. That's the dream we're being sold right now. The dream we're being sold is that this next year is going to be the best year of our lives if you buy this stuff, if you take this vacation, if you invest in this. And this year may be the best year of some of our lives. It may not be. But that's the American dream. God's dream is that we give everything we have for him. That's the dream of the Christian. And we've been in a series called Christian 101 where we talk about what do Christians do? Like literally, what do they do? We know a lot about what they think. I think most of us can tell you what a Christian should think. But how did Christians act? And so we've looked at the early church and, and examples and letters. And, because the question is, is that are we being the church? Are we being Christians? Or are we doing something else? Our key verse has been uh, about where, where Jesus is telling us that at the end of the age, there'll, there'll be several, many people that will show up and they'll say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I don't know who you are. And, and they'll say, well, what do you mean? Remember that time I prophesied? Remember that time I cast that demon out? I did miracles for you? Don't you remember those, Jesus? And he'll say, I don't know you. And that's scary. Because we can apparently create a Jesus that doesn't exist in our mind and worship him. And so the question is, is that are we, are we really taking the Bible seriously? Are we taking what what the scriptures say seriously because somewhere and someplace someone's going to have to start believing the book and living the book. And that's what we're trying to do. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 16, 25. And I, I don't have the scriptures up here because I want us to see it. So you can go there. It's Matthew 16, 25. It's interesting. This is in... It's recorded in each of the Gospels, Jesus saying that. Sometimes you'll find different stories and different threads and different themes throughout the different Gospels, but, but this, is, this is in all of them. I think it's because Jesus wanted us to get it. And he says this, Whoever, this is Matthew 16, 25, Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, for Jesus' sake, will find it. Whoever loses their life will find it. He's causing us and calling us to live a life of risk. He's asking us and inviting us to be a part of his story. See, God is, is writing a story over our lives. And we have the option of whether or not we want to participate in the story that he's writing or try to write our own stories. He's, he's pinning a plot. And each of us 
He, he's got good works for us to play in, in his story. Works that he, he thought of, he dreamed of before he created the earth. He's, he's got a story that he wants us to live. We have to stop trying to live our own story. We have to stop trying to, to be the author of our life. That's his job. Which means that we have to then lose our life to find it. Now, here's the thing about losing. You can't kind of lose something. You can't partially lose. You can't sort of lose your car keys. You either lose them or you know where they are. And he's, he's, he's saying you have to lose your life. You have to lose it. You have to lose it. That's the only way. That's it. That's the only way that you'll be able to find it. And I think about it, and I think about, I don't want to give up control of my life. I don't, I don't want to, just as a human, I don't want to let someone else write my story. But what we don't realize is that that's happening all the time. Circumstances are writing our story. Other people are writing our story. Money, careers, possessions, hurts, longings, those are writing our story for us. We're living that story. And he's beckoning us into a better story into his story that he's been writing since the dawn of time. He's asking us, are you ready to lose your life, to put down your pen, so that we can enter into the life that he has for us? It's time to risk. Because losing your life means that you just, you give it up. You lay it down. You risk the idea that you may not be able to go back to the way things were. Like, losing your life means that you may never find that old life again. That's risk. That's scary. Because we love comfort. We love the ordinary. We love things that, that bring us security and safety and, and all of that sort of stuff. And he doesn't really care as much about that. He's not as concerned about our comfort. He's not as concerned about our security. He's not as concerned about, are we, are we going to, to live our best lives now? It's not his top priority. He loves us, and he has a better story. And so we have to risk. We, we, have, to, we have to trust. And those are scary, scary things for us here in America, in Tennessee, on the cusp of 2019. When, when we live for ourselves in everything. When everything we do is, is to our own good ends. Everything that we participate in has sort of a selfish ambition attached to it. And he's asking us to lay that down.
And he tells us why, though. He's good about that. He says in John 10.10, this is John 10.10, if you want to go there. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In John 10.10, Jesus is, is what he's doing, he's juxtaposing these two things. He's saying, here's your life, here's his life, his story. Now, if you're in your own story, if you're writing your own story, guess what? You're not really writing your own story. We just said that. There's another author out there who's trying to pen another version of your story, and it's full of death, theft, and destruction. But if we lose our lives, then what he's telling us is that there is an abundant life at hand. Now, that seems very counter to what we think. But that's the way of the kingdom. It's upside down. It's different. This is why Jesus tells us to count the cost. Because it will cost us everything. It has to. To follow him has to cost everything. We have to lose our lives to find it. If you look up the word lose, it means lose. It means you're going to lose it. But what he's saying is that I promise you, I promise you, you will have abundant life to the full. And either we believe him or we don't. And it's up to us to decide that. Because he's telling us that there is more to life than what we see. And what we do when we think about the reward We think about reward in our selfish ambition mindset. We think, oh, well, if I follow Jesus, then I'll I'll have all the stuff I want. And he'll make me rich and healthy and good-looking and popular. And that's what he must mean. And I don't think that's what he meant. But we have have versions of, of what people believe he's saying. is saying, if you follow Jesus then you will be healthy and wise and wealthy and, and then you can live your best life. But Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying if you want a real life, a life that's worth living, then you want a life of divine purpose and destiny. I mean, we could probably go around the room and say, name a celebrity that's gone through a terrible crash. Because apparently, being rich and famous and successful and admired and loved by everyone doesn't cut it. It's just not enough. Because in our minds, that's the pinnacle. Fame and success is where we're hoping to get to. And it's all over. We can just continue to look around at the devastation that it brings because it's empty. We don't need stuff We don't even need admiration. We need purpose. We were created for purpose. We were were engineered and designed to have to have a purpose. And so what people do is they make ends their purpose. Money, success, fame, power. And when they achieve it, when that purpose is realized, and then they understand that it's not everything that they had it cut out to be, then 
they crash. Because what does this life mean anyway? And they're right. That's meaningless. And so what he's saying here is that if you lose your life, you'll find it. You'll find real life, abundant life, life to the full, life of purpose, life of destiny, life of calling, a life of meaning. Boredom will be a thing of the past. That's, that's what he's calling us into, to risk everything to push all the chips in and, and to go big. And I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what it means. But I know here at the vineyard, we're kingdom people. We're people that believe that the kingdom of God is here and there's more to come. And we understand that the kingdom of God, the currency of the kingdom of God is the impossible. That's, that's what happens in the kingdom of God. He takes the impossible and turns it into tangible and that's called a miracle. But to get to impossible means we have to risk that. We have to, we have to risk just jumping out. We have to let go of things in order to receive You know the story about you can't put new wine into an old wineskin? You know that? Why? Because it bursts. So then what do you have to do to get new wine? You have to throw the old wineskin out. You have to lose it. And if we want like a fresh touch of God, if we want purpose, if we want revival, if we just want peace, if we want purpose, we have to throw the old man out. Once and for all. We have to. Because he, he died when we were baptized. When you were baptized, you, you, we buried the old man. And we keep trying to dig him back up. But he's gone. And he's moving us into a place of newness, a place of the kingdom, but it means we have to let go of our old life. So we're going to look at Acts 20. You can turn there. This is a story about Paul. Paul's a pretty good example of someone that laid down their life. And I don't think Paul ever felt bored. I don't think he ever felt like this is meaningless. I think he felt persecuted. I think he, he felt struck down. I don't think he felt abandoned. And Paul is, is here and he's we're at this place of Miletus, and, and, and it's about 20 miles south of Ephesus. And Ephesus is where Paul spent uh, a little over three years uh, of his life that we know of. We think it's the longest he ever spent in one place in the ministry building the church. And he's, he's in Ephesus for three years, and he leaves and he goes to Corinth for the winter. Corinth, he gets a prophecy, and he, he knows that he's getting ready to go into his final act, so to speak. And so he, he's, he's in Corinth, and he's got to make it to Jerusalem by Pentecost. 
And he knows that there's no, he's not coming back. He got one of those prophetic words that we teach you not to give. It wasn't very uplifting. It was one of those you're going to die type of prophetic words. We, we, we try to refrain from those in School of Kingdom Ministry. And so he got one of those words. He knew this was it. And for three years, he had been building this church. And as I was reading this, it kind of struck me. We're getting ready to celebrate our three-year anniversary in February. Like, like I can kind of understand what he must have been feel, feeling as he was getting ready to, to never see these people that he had given so much of his life for. He was getting ready to say, I, I've got to go. And he knows that if he goes to Ephesus, like, that's it. He'll be done. He'll never leave. Because he loves all of those people way too much. He loves his life there way too much. He's not sure if he can actually lose, lose that if he goes back. And so what he says is, I'm going to pull off 20 miles south. I'm going to send for the elders. I just want to see the elders. And so he calls the elders to him. They all come. It's Paul. They haven't seen him in a while. And he, and he, and he tells them, this is it. It's like this incredibly emotional time because at the end of this chapter it talks about how they're just weeping and they're hugging and they're kissing and they're, they're, they're just saying, please don't go, but they're saying, you do what's in your heart. And so if I think about like, okay, it's Paul, like what's the last thing he's going to say? It's the last thing he's going to say to these people. That's important. You listen to that. If it's a, if it's a father's last thing he's going to say to his family, like, tune in. He's probably thought about it. And so we pick up in verse 22. And he tells me, he says, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. So this is Paul. This is our example of what it looks like to lose our life. It says that he's constrained by the Spirit. Read, he's lost his life. The Spirit has him bound. That's what the word literally means. It's like a rope around his feet. And guess what? He doesn't know what's going to happen. So here's Paul leaving the people he loves, the church that he built, that he worked so hard for, the ministry, the people. You can read Ephesians. I mean, it's, that's who he's, he's leaving, and he's bound by the Spirit not knowing where he's going, but he just knows he's got to go. Why? It's not his life. He's not in control anymore. Verse 23. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Happy New Year. Could you imagine? You know wherever you're going to go, it ain't going to be good. It's, it's going to be painful. And not just emotionally, physically. You're going to get beaten. Why would anyone do that? I mean, why would anyone do that? He tells us in verse 24, he says, But I do not count, account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. 
the only way that you can agree to something so crazy is if you understand that your life means nothing without Jesus. Without his grace, without his gospel, it's nothing. He has another word for it in Philippians 3, 7. Uh, He says, but whatever gain I had, this is Paul again, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. In verse 8, he says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish isn't, isn't, isn't rubbish. That sounds like, like a Paddington Bear, nice English way of saying garbage. That's not what he's saying. This is filth. This is disgusting. His life, he counts as just filthy compared to the surpassing knowledge. That's the only way that he can agree to go to his death. He doesn't know when it's going to be. He just knows it's going to happen. And he knows it's not going to be a pleasant one. It's it's not going to be an easy one. Why else would you go anywhere? Because you understand that it's not yours to begin with. He's bound. And he tells us then in verse 25 in Acts 20 again, he says, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And they move into this sorrowful time because he's never coming back because he's bound by the Spirit to go on because it's not his life anymore. And it's the same with us. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, it means that you've given him your life. And if you've given him your life, then it's not yours. That seems redundant, doesn't it? But it's true. If you follow Jesus, that means that you follow Jesus. You're constrained by his Holy Spirit. Because it's just not yours anymore. Now imagine being Paul, and you have a successful ministry. You have a lot of people that love you. You can do a lot of really good things in Ephesus. Don't you think there was someone that said, Paul, I mean, do you really have to go? Look at all of the good that you can do here. Look at all of the things that you can do from this point in your life. Like, like all of the things that you can do right here. Don't leave. Don't do something stupid and die. Send Timothy. You stay here. Don't you think someone said that? If I would have been there, I would have said that. I'd be like, really, Paul? Is that really the most prudent thing for you to do? That seems crazy. Now, here's the deal. If we agree to risk everything for Jesus, if we agree to lose our lives for Jesus, there will be people that say that we're crazy. And it's actually a pretty good sort of measurement of when is the last time someone said, what you're doing is crazy, Well, that's a pretty good sign that you're probably doing what the Lord is leading you to do. Not crazy like you drank too much and you're going to try to jump into the pool from the third floor. Not that kind of crazy. 
But you know, if you're, if you're thinking about, I don't know, moving to Africa to translate scripture, and it's pretty hostile there, and they have this thing called Ebola. Have you heard about that? And you're risking everything for what? Imagine the good that you can do here, the money that you can send. That's crazy. And the more that I read the scriptures and, and read about the early life of the, of the believers, the more I keep telling them all, you're nuts. Like, you don't have to do these things. Because my brain says, I see tons of Christians that are good people. They're not doing this kind of crazy thing. Which then makes me wonder, what is it that I'm seeing? Because the common thread seems to be risk. It seems to be doing crazy things. Putting themselves in harm's way. For what? For their king. Because that's what you do when you're the servant of a king. You just do whatever he says to do. And this year, the Lord is asking us to just lay the lives down again. We've picked them back up. It's hard not to pick them back up in Christmas and to do what we want to do and tradition and family. And If there's anyone that will tell you you're crazy, it's your family. Even if you're great. And so here we are again. We're facing the new year and he's, he's telling us, hey, that life that you're holding on to, it's not yours. Which means that we get to just say, okay, you're right. And like Paul, we get to leave. Chained to the gospel. And as we sit here, January 30th, I don't know what that's going to look like. We may come back here next year and go, holy smokes, what a ride to all three of us that are still here. I don't know. <laughs> because the thing about risking, about laying your life down, who knows where you'll be? Who knows what you'll do? Who knows where you'll go? But I'll bet you go with purpose. And I bet you go with peace. Like an underlying base note of peace. Because it's not your life anyway. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. A kind of church like in Ephesus, where maybe weekly we gather on the beach and cry and say, oh man, we'll pray. Because some of us are going to some crazy places. Some of us are putting ourselves in crazy positions. Some of us are risking our reputations, our, our paychecks, our jobs, maybe even our lives. Because we've seen the king, and he's worth it. It's the only way we want to do the church. Which means that we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know where we're going to go. We don't know what we're going to be doing. But we've already given him a blank check. The guy that started the vineyard movement as we know it, said it like this, that we're just change in God's pocket and he can spend us however we want, however he wants. Loose change, just a quarter, a nickel. 
That's our life. Paul goes on and he talks about it in 2 Timothy. He tells him that, that why is he doing this? It's because he's in a race. Like he's, he's finishing a race. He's finishing the good fight because waiting at the other end, at the other side, is this eternal reward where we get to be with God. We get to have face-to-face fellowship with the God of the universe. And he's going to give us like crowns, is what Paul says here. He gets a crown. And in Revelation, we see that we keep throwing the crown at Jesus' feet. And you know, they keep putting it back on our head. How do we throw it again and again? There's no such thing as like, like sunsetting for the believer, of sort of an easy ride to the end, because it's not the end. We go from 11 o'clock till noon. That's it. Like, this life is a vapor. We're just trying to make it till Friday. And Friday is when we cross on. And we we join him. That's the way Paul saw his life, is what he's told Timothy there. That's the only way that he can do this. It's the only way that we can do this. If we grasp this life the way our king sees it. It's just a vapor. We're just change in his pocket. There's eternity awaiting us. That's the kind of life he's calling us into. And it is a wonderful thing to be a part of. I mean, it, it's incredible. Why else would people do it? I mean, you've thought about that. Why else would people put themselves at risk? I was talking to someone. They were in uh, sort of a a Muslim-controlled country, and they were struggling with the idea that these people were converting to Christianity and then being killed very soon after. And the question was, like, how could God let that happen? And I, I think that's a, you know, that's a normal question. But the real question is, what did they see that was so worth that? What did they find? It makes me think of like if you're walking in a field and you stumble across and you find this treasure that's worth like this innumerable amount. And then what you do is you go and you sell everything you have to buy the field because you know the treasure that's hidden in the field is worth more than anything you just sold. It's like if you, if you were a pearl merchant, and, and, you, and you found this giant pearl. And, and what you did is you went and you sold everything you have so you could, do, you could buy that pearl because you knew that pearl was worth more than anything you had. This is what Jesus tells us it's like. This is what the kingdom is like. It's better than anything you have, but it's going to cost you all that you have. That's life with Jesus. Because he's the pearl of great price. That's him. And then he flips it and he says, you're the pearl of great price. He's the one that originally sold everything he had. And he came here as a baby. He left his divinity. He came and he died and rose again. He, de- he defeated death, hell, and the grave for us. It's that throwing your crown, him putting it back up.
That's the life of the believer. And that's our call this year is to risk it all. To risk everything. Everything that we have. So we've been reading these accounts of the early church. And we're going to end with some doozies. There's this incredible verse in the New Testament where he's talking about like these, these saints. And he says, the author says, they were just men just like us. These people that we're reading about, I mean, they're just like us. But they found the pearl of great price. They found whatever it was that, that caused them to risk everything. But they're just like us. So we're, we're wrapping up our series on Christian 101. And what we want to do is we want to, we want to see how did it work out for these guys. So we talk about Stephen. Stephen was the first one who had the honor of dying for Jesus. He lost his life. But he must have found something worth it. It says, they ran out Stephen out of the city and they stoned him. And yet Stephen patiently accepted the persecution that was given to him. And Stephen even asked the Lord not to hold them guilty who had stoned him. I mean, he essentially repeated, repeated Christ's words on the cross. Andrew. Andrew was one of the first disciples of Christ. He was previously a disciple of John the Baptist. And tr tradition has it that Andrew was crucified uh, in an X because he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus. He wasn't worthy uh, for that. Simon Peter uh, was brought to Christ by his brother Andrew. Peter was martyred under uh, Nero's reign, and he was killed in Rome around 64 to 67. He's the one that wrote about they were just men like us. Peter's just a man like us. Peter, too, didn't feel like he could hold up to being crucified like his savior, and so he was crucified upside down. He lost his life. Polycarp, we read about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, pretty incredible story. They, they tried to burn him at the, stank, uh, at the stake. He wouldn't catch, and so then they just killed him. St. Thomas, the apostle, uh, this is the Doubting Thomas. This is how we remember him, right? He's the Doubting Thomas. <laughs> Once he understood who Jesus was and he, and he didn't doubt anymore, this is what happened. Uh, he was spreading the word of the miracle of Jesus outside the Roman Empire, and uh, he was somewhere in India, what is India today, and the natives uh, impelled him with a spear, and he, he died there. James, Jesus' brother, uh, was sentenced to death by stoning. Uh, during the execution, he knelt down and prayed for those throwing stones. It's kind of a common theme, you see. Uh, one of the priests bearing witness to the execution demanded that it be stopped, but someone from the crowd came and they just beat him to death anyway. This is, this is Jesus' brother. So, so he, he, he wasn't just full of some lofty idea. Like he saw 
somehow his brother was the Messiah, was the king. And somewhere in there, he was worth dying for. Luke, Luke, the, the one that we read, Luke, the one that we read about at Christmas, he, he wrote that, that piece and he traveled with Paul. Uh, he was a physician. Uh, he lived a pretty full life. And then it came to an abrupt end around 150 AD. He was tortured uh, by the Greeks for his belief in Christ, and he was hung from an olive tree. He was about 84 at the time that he died. St. Ignatius uh, was arrested. He was outside of Rome. They arrested him, and they made him travel with the lions that later ate him, which seems especially cruel. Timothy, Paul's protege, was taken from his house late in his life, dragged down the street, and, uh, and stoned as well. Bartholomew, uh, after surviving unbearable amounts of torture, he was the 12th apostle of Jesus, uh, flayed alive and then crucified upside down. Why? Why do these people have to die like that? Because they counted their lives as rubbish. It just didn't matter. The only thing that mattered to them was Jesus. And these were just men just like us. And the invitation is for us to lay it down this year. To allow him to lead us, to allow him to spend us, to allow him to direct us wherever it is, however it is, whatever it is. Because his word says that he's worth it. That it's worth it. And all of this will pass away and his word will still remain. He's worth it. So that's our call into the new year. If this is your first time here, I'd like to say it gets better. (laughs) I don't know. We'll see. But this is the call of the Christian, is that it's not our lives anymore, which means we get to risk everything for him. And then we'll see how that plays out. So our prayer for today, you can stand. Here's the way it works. If you're here on a Sunday in between New Year's, there's probably a big part of you that's already been laid down. But, but what happens is, is that we'll pick back up parts of our lives. We'll, we'll say, you can have everything except for this. We won't say that out loud, but we live that way. And so as we sing and as we worship, the prayer is that I'm here for a reason. Some way, somehow, The Lord has ordained it that we're here today to hear this. And so the question is, what are you trying to say to me, Jesus? What is it that I need to lay down? Maybe it's my whole life. Maybe maybe you came here and you haven't done this. You haven't laid your life down. After after we're done, come talk to me. And and we'll help you count the cost and and we'll walk with you through that. Maybe, Maybe you haven't laid down a career. Maybe it's Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's who knows what it could be, but the Holy Spirit will tell you. I promise. He will tell you right now what it is you need to lay down.
because he's very concerned about that. And so as we sing and pray and, 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 and we think we're going, the prayer is, what is it that you want me to lay down? And then give it to him. Write the check. Hand it to him. He gets to spend it however he wants. And you get to leave here changed, different, with purpose. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Lord, it is incredibly hard to lay down our lives. In fact, it's impossible. Only through your empowerment can we do that. Only through your Holy Spirit that has us bound can we do that. So Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you come? Would you show us the places in our heart that we need to change? The things in our life we need to lay down? And would you help us to see you for the incredible, wonderful prize that you are? Would you help us to come home to the fact that you are worth it, even though it doesn't seem like it sometimes? Would you just help us to know that you're worth it, you're worth it, you're worth it? Would you lead us further into a loving, incredible encounter with you, a relationship with you? Would you show us the places that we, we need to let you have? And then, Lord, would you comfort us? And would you quiet the fear that comes inevitably from laying things down? And would you remind us that there is no condemnation at all for those that are in Christ Jesus? That this is an invitation to purpose, not a condemnation to guilt. And we love you, Jesus. We want to love you more. We want more of you in our lives. More of a revelation of who you are. And so I just encourage you to continue in this place of just reflection of what it is. We're going to sing. And the words of this song are that the Lord is the good shepherd. That he will guide us and he will lead us. He will cause us to lay down by still pastures, even in the valley of the shadow of death, he's there with us. And in that point is when he's prepared a feast for us. And so then, Lord, would you lead us on? And that's our call for this year. Would the Lord lead us on? So as we sing, would this be our prayer? And then we'll come back and we'll open up some ministry time. For all upcoming events and more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nationalvineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.